tongue when the invitation is extended. And after you've done that, take your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16 and Carrie Dwyer will have that scripture reading for us. I'll be reading from Acts chapter 16, beginning in verse 25. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison awakening from his sleep, and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But, call, but Paul called with a loud voice saying, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light, ran in, and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. And immediately he and all his family were baptized. Now, when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them, and he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. I want to read to you something that was written by a skeptic, someone who didn't believe in God. It was written in this man's autobiography. Here are his words. What is there to make life tolerable? We stand on the shore of an ocean, crying to the night, and in the emptiness, sometimes a voice answers out of the darkness. But it's the voice of one drowning. And in a moment, the silence returns. Isn't that a bleak outlook? His question was not what makes life enjoyable. Where can I find happiness? His beginning question was, is there something, anything, to just make life tolerable? Now compare his words with these. I give thanks to you, O Lord, with my whole heart. On the day I called, you answered me. Though the Lord is high, He regards the lowly. 
Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. Excerpts from Psalm 138. There are a lot of treasures to be enjoyed in Christ. Time would fail us if we tried to list everything that comes to mind that's a blessing of being a part of the body of Jesus Christ. But one of those blessings, one of those great things that we have is something that maybe we don't think about all that much. And maybe it's because our circumstances don't necessarily warrant it. But one of the things that we have in Christ is a reason to live. What this skeptic longed for, he could have found in Christ. In Jesus Christ, there's a reason to live. And we're going to study for a few minutes this morning about an individual who learned that lesson. That in Christ, there's a reason to live. And it's in Acts chapter 16. I hope you have your Bible still opened there. And when we begin looking at Acts chapter 16, we're talking about, we're reading about Paul's second evangelistic journey. And Paul ends up, and his companions, end up in the city of Philippi. And they go out on the Sabbath day to a place where they supposed was a place of prayer out by uh, a river, uh, verses uh, 12 and 13. And they encounter some women there, one of whom is named Lydia. And they, they engage her in conversation. They teach her the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. She embraces it, she and her household, her family. She's baptized into Christ, verse number 15, and she uh, imposes upon Paul and his companions to stay with her while they're in Philippi. Well, as the days go on and Paul is there engaging people in conversation, exposing them to the gospel message, there's a, a slave girl that starts following them. Verse number 16. But what's, what's important about this young girl is that she is, uh, she is possessed of a, a demon, a spirit of divination is what the text uh, says there. She's, uh, she's been overtaken uh, by this evil spirit. And so she's following Paul and his companions. And this becomes troublesome to Paul as the days pass. And so finally, verse 18 the Bible says that Paul became greatly annoyed by this, and so he finally turned and cast this spirit out of this young girl. Verse number 18. We're also told by Luke here that this, uh, the owner of this young slave girl, uh, that, that her owners were... Had, had palmed her off on the populace as some kind of seer, and they were making money off of that. And so when Paul cast the demon out and, and she's no longer possessed, uh, that hurt their pocketbook. And when they saw, verse 19, that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into, uh, in, into the presence of the rulers of the city. And they're accused of... Uh, one, disturbing the peace, verse 20, they're disturbing our city. In verse 21, they're advocating things that we as, as Romans cannot advocate. Philippi was a Roman colony. 
and uh, and and so it was. You know, we've talked about those before. Kind of a Rome away from Rome, some people say. And so these Roman customs were highly prized in these Roman colonies. And they said, look, they're not only disturbing the peace, they're teaching things that we can't accept as Romans. And the crowd, verse 22, were told, joined in this attack. And so the rulers decide, all right, here's their punishment. We're going to beat them, and we're going to put them into prison. And so they do that. They beat them with rods sticks, We, I guess probably in our terminology, though we don't do this in our country, but some countries do. You ever hear of caning? Well, this is evidently what they did. And they, and they beat them with these rods so severely that it caused uh, bleeding because later they're going to have their stripes, their wounds washed. And so they're beaten severely. And then they're placed in prison, and it's here that we're introduced to the prison guard. The one that's going to play a major role in, in what happens in this chapter. This prison guard is given charge of Paul and Silas, and uh, the, uh, the, the rulers order him, into verse 23, to keep them safely, to make them secure. And so verse 24 tells us that he, having received this order, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Now, as I understand those ancient Roman prisons, there was a, a general outer court type area, and then there was the, uh, the, the main uh, prison part where they had the, most of the cells and um, you know, they weren't anything lavish by any means, but, but there was, you know, there'd be probably a window with bars on it where they could see outside and, and, um, and things of that nature, may perhaps get a little fresh air uh, at times. But they also had the inner prison, which is where Paul and Silas were placed. The inner prison was more like solitary. Uh, it was dank. It was dark. There were no windows in the inner prison. Uh, damp. Uh, I mean, it was it, it was not any it was not a place anybody wanted to be. And so Paul and Silas are thrown into this deeper part, this inner prison, and then their feet are put in the stocks. Now, normally, when when you think about feet being put in the stocks, I'm not going to demonstrate this, but you you, you kind of get the picture of of being seated and and feet, you know, legs, feet straight out in front of you, and you've you've got the the wooden um, apparatus with the holes in it that uh, they put your feet in. You can't pull your feet out and you're there securely. Okay, fair enough. Roman stocks were just as much implements of torture as they were implements of security. Because most of the time in Roman stocks, your feet and legs weren't straight out in front of you. They were opened up. They were pulled to the side to the point of physical pain. And then they were placed in these wooden openings on these stocks. And so it was, it was not just to make prisoners secure, though it did that. It was also to torture them. It was also to, to inflict pain on them. And if, if things hold true to form, if, if what happened in this Philippian jail was what normally happened from what historians tell us, that's the position that Paul and Silas would have been in. Legs spread to the point of pain, 
fastened in the stocks in the inner part of the dank, dark, wet, damp, ugly prison dungeon. But then along about midnight, a sound is heard throughout the prison. But it's not the sound that was probably normally heard. I suspect that under usual circumstances, if you've got individuals that are, in, that are being tortured, their legs in the stocks, there might have been cries for help. Perhaps they were expressions of anguish. Maybe there were loud cries of anger, especially if somebody had felt they were unjustly imprisoned. I don't know what the normal sounds were. It probably wasn't what was happening on this midnight. When the other prisoners begin to hear singing. And praying. And on the heels of that, all of a sudden... The earth begins to shake. And along with this earthquake, some things happened in the prison. The doors to the prison cells all come open. And the shackles that are on all of the prisoners open up and fall to the ground. The prison guard, who at some point in the proceedings of the night had gone to sleep, is awakened by the earthquake. And when this startled prison guard wakes up and assesses the situation and he sees that all of the doors to these prison cells are all open, he makes an assumption that anybody in his situation would probably have made doors are open. Nobody wants to be in prison. The prisoners are probably all gone. Now, Roman law was very clear when it came to the responsibilities of police officers, prison guards specifically. And Roman law was that if you were given charge of holding prisoners in place, and you allowed your prisoner or prisoners to escape, there was one punishment for you, death. Well, this guard understood that evidently. And he didn't want to die at the hands of other Romans. He had seen that happen before, probably. And so he decides that he's going to take his own life. We learn from verse 33, just skipping ahead, that this prison guard had a family. But instead of trying to reunite with that family, perhaps for the last time, he was willing to forego all of that and end his life right there. 
That's how serious this was to him. And so the text says that he pulled his sword. Romans had different types of swords, different sizes. Some were rather small, some were rather large. I don't know what size this one was. Did you ever hear about individuals falling on their sword? Well, that comes from a literal thing that would happen at times. And if this happened to have been one of those large swords, then the method of suicide that was used with a large sword was that the sword would be turned over and the handle secured in the ground in some way, maybe a little hole of some kind that put the handle in and, the, and of course, the blade is sticking up. And the, and the blade would be placed in the individual leaning over the blade and then using his own body weight would fall on his sword. And so this prison guard is about to take his own life because his life had changed dramatically in those few moments from the time that earthquake happened and he woke up and saw all of those things that, you know, the, the doors were opened, he makes an assumption, and his life, is, in his mind, is as good as over. And so he's going to take it. I don't know about you, I, I have personally never been that low. I've been low. Been times in my life when I've wondered what in the world is going on. And I can't make sense out of it. There have been times in my life when I when I didn't know I, I didn't know what my next move was going to be. It seemed like there have been times where it seemed like everything in my own little world was was falling apart and crumbling around me. And maybe you've been there too. Maybe you've been as low as, as this prison guard. And maybe your life, as it were, was hanging over the point of a sword. Maybe you're there today. Perhaps, if you've ever been there, maybe it was because of your own choices. Maybe you made a series of, of just bad, sinful choices, and, and as a result of those choices, you finally reached a point where you didn't think there was anything worth living for. Maybe it didn't have anything to do with your choices. Maybe it was somebody else's choices, or maybe it was just, just one of those things or a series of things in life that just seems to happen that there's no real explanation for. But whatever, whatever it may have been, Maybe that's where you've been. Well, this soldier is about to take his own life. When Paul cries out, calls out to him, and says, do yourself no harm, verse 28. We're all here. He assumed that everybody had left, but nobody had left. And verse 29 says that this jailer approaches Paul trembling 
with fear. I've been afraid too at times. You ever been so afraid that literally you're shaking? That's, that's, that's real fear. This man comes trembling before Paul. A man on the threshold of eternity. An eternity for which he was not prepared. That's what happens when life turns upside down. It can scare you to death. Now somehow, this jailer knew that Paul and Silas had the answer to his problem. I don't know how he knew that. Maybe there are some things that happened that aren't recorded in the text. Maybe... Maybe the, the jailer was informed of why Paul and Silas had been thrown into the prison because of their, their preaching and their teaching. And maybe he had been exposed to some of that in that process. Maybe before he went to sleep that night, maybe he heard Paul and Silas talking or maybe they had talked to him personally. I don't, I don't know. The text doesn't give us all that information. But somehow, somehow he knew that Paul and Silas had the answer because... He came trembling to them and asked them the question, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? When he threw them into that dungeon, there's no hint in the text that he thought about his soul. But when worlds fall apart, has a tendency to make us think about those things. And so Paul gives him the answer in verse 31. The answer is Jesus. Paul tells him that Jesus can save him and his family. In other words, He, Paul tells him, is your reason to live. Here is a man ready to take his own life. Because everything in his world had completely fallen apart and he saw no other way out of his circumstances but to take his own life. Because if he didn't take his own, somebody was going to take his from him. That's all he saw. Paul said, wait a minute. Jesus is the answer. And the prison guard said yes to Jesus. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved, you and your household. And when the jailer said yes, the Bible says Paul then taught him the Word of God, verse 32. That was the natural response. Paul was telling this this pagan individual who had no concept of Jesus. He, he knew Paul and Silas had the answer to his soul's condition. The answer was Jesus. Well, all right. You tell me I've got to believe in Jesus, but Paul would later write in Romans chapter 10, verse 14, how shall they believe in Him of whom they've not heard? And so he had to hear something. He had to get the information. How can I believe on somebody that I don't know anything about? And so Paul preaches the word to him, verse 32. And somewhere along the way in that conversation, 
when Paul spoke the word of the Lord to him, this jailer came to understand that he needed to repent of his sins and be baptized into Christ because that's what he does next. He took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes, washed their wounds. Well, why would he do that if it not out of remorse for the unjust beating that they had received? That shows evidence of a penitent mind, does it not? Trying to fix trying to undo, trying to turn from and, and make restitution for the things that he had previously done that were wrong. So he washes their stripes, a clear sign of penitence, and then was immersed for the forgiveness of his sins. I don't know how closely your outlook on life is to the jailers, but I do know this, the answer is the same even if your outlook on life is not as bleak as this prison guard's was. But maybe there's something else that is happening in your life that's got you down. If not that low, at least down to some degree. I'm telling you the answer is the same. In Christ there is freedom from the guilt of sin. In Christ there is peace that passes understanding. In Christ there is strength to face your fears. In Christ there are riches beyond measure. And in Christ there is confident expectation that when this life is over, heaven will be your home. Nothing else or no one else in this world can offer you what Jesus offers you. And I want you to notice how things changed in the heart of this man after he had accepted God's offer of grace in Jesus Christ. He had gone in a short amount of time. In the very same night, he had gone from having his life dangle over the point of his own sword to verse 34. He, the guard, brought them, Paul and Silas, into his house, set food before them, and rejoiced. And rejoiced. He and his household, because he had believed in God. From despair so deep that he was on the brink of a suicidal sword thrust, to a home filled with celebration and rejoicing. That's what the grace of God in Jesus Christ can do for your life. You have a reason to live and a reason to rejoice and a reason to be happy if you are in the body of Jesus Christ. Amen? Thank you. That's what the grace of God can do. The jailer found a reason to live in Christ. So can you. Go back to the skeptic with me that we started with this morning who said, you cry out into the darkness, and sometimes you hear a voice, but it's only the voice of somebody else drowning. And before long, there's silence again. But if, if instead of directing your voice into darkness, you direct your cry to God, the answer will not be muted silence. What makes life so much more than tolerable it's what God offers us in Christ. 
Paul put it this way in what is, at least in my estimation, one of the most beautiful passages in all of Scripture. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, how that though He was rich, yet for your sakes He became poor, that you through His poverty might be made rich. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9. You can have that if you'll follow the lead of a nameless Philippian prison guard who found his reason to live in Christ. Find yours. Do what he did. Put your faith and confidence in Christ. Turn from your sins. Be immersed and go on your way rejoicing. I know many of you have done that already. But maybe you've lost that joy somewhere along the way. Recapture it. Reacquaint yourself with all of the blessings that you have in Christ. All of the reasons to be happy and joyous. And once you've reacquainted yourself with those things, allow that joy to be expressed in your words and in your actions. If we may help you today in some way, we invite you to come as we stand and sing together.